the give is a fake, and the pass goes up, and it is intercepted, I believe. They fake it, and it goes, now they're going to say incomplete. A minute to go in the third quarter. Chiefs lead 20 to 13. Now the ball slips out of Mahomes' hands. It's going to be recovered by Cincinnati. The Bengals will get it at the Kansas City 45-yard line. Johnson under center. On second down. Johnson fakes. He's back. Reddick's got him again. Another sack for Reddick down to the 10-yard line. Chiefs lead 13-3. 2.31 to go in the first half. Burrow under pressure. Now floats a pass. Left side intercepted at midfield. On the right side, it's Watson who's got it. And will go out of bounds in front of the Cincinnati bench at the Cincy 39-yard line. Johnson is throwing. He fumbles the snap. Goes down and gets it. That could have been a disaster. I no, think I, he got it. Now the Eagles say they have. Let's see. If they, they do, do. They do. Oh, my. Second turnover of the game. Guess who got it? Guess oh, who got it? Hassan oh. Reddick. P. Ryan, a loader running back. Three by one. Burrow holding the ball in his hand. He's going to throw it long. Coming down near side. T. Higgins. It's knocked away and intercepted. Intercepted by Joshua Williams. It was deflected by Brian Cook. How about this rookie class? I am stunned that Jared did not just make that five minutes of Chiefs highlights. Yeah. I'm stunned. Yeah. You you worked in Eagles highlights. I mean, I did Patrick Mahomes fumbling. It was basically the general consensus. Those games kind of sucked. I thought we were not talking until about 7.07 this morning. No, those those games were not enjoyable to watch. Irrelevant a, if your team wins. Hey, you got to be excited, man. You're in the Super Bowl. I'm more like, well, I don't know if we deserved that, but I'll take it. You're wearing a Chiefs jersey this morning. I'm wearing a Chiefs hoodie with a Chiefs jersey over it. Yeah. What are you doing? Stop acting. You're already like making bets with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. One fan in the uh, in the building. Yeah, we need to work on that. Because he wanted to do cash, and I was like, let's do something that's, like, embarrassing to us personally because I don't have cash. <laughs> I think I owe him cash. <laughs> Again? I I forget the bet. So if he tells me I owe him 25 bucks, uh, I'll I'll pay him. I'm just going to start telling you every now and then, <laughs> hey, Ed, you owe me 25 bucks. I'll just keep paying. Hey, Ed, you remember that money you owe me? <laughs> I'll just keep paying people. The First Bite. Did the refs ruin the AFC title game? For a guy who picked the Bengals, you're darn right. <laughs> you're darn right. That's why we lost. I did love. I love that you're a wee guy with the Bengals. <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> That's why we lost the game, damn it. I, I did love the, it's rigged, it's rigged. The 2-1 seeds won. <laughs> so uh, the answer to the question is no. I had... No problem with the officiating in Kansas City, Cincinnati. My main question is, why are we not actually talking about the Bengals being bad? Like, you don't get to hit the quarterback when he runs out of bounds. Well, the one of all the the calls uh, Bengal fans were uh, supposedly complaining about, that's the most obvious one. Right. You also don't get to throw the ball at your center's feet right. when you're about to be tackled right. for a sack. That was intentional grounding. Yeah. Like none of those calls were bad. The only mistake to me 
was the replay on third down. Them not going, guys, but that, stop! But that wasn't a referee mistake. That was the guy running the clock's right, mistake because right. he started to run the clock after an incomplete pass and one ref recognized right. it and tried to stop the play and was a little too timid, I guess. But even, yeah, he was, he was I feel that. even that was, that's what they should have done. That play was dead. Yeah. We just happened to see it. Because nobody on the field realized yeah, you can, it. And you couldn't see the ref who was right. stopping the clock, who was but stopping the play. I had no issue with that. And here's like the way people reacted to the end of that game. You would have thought the Cincinnati Bengals had 200 yards of penalties. Yeah. They had 71. Kansas City had 55. Yeah. It's not like it was drastically different. And here's the part. So all right, football is amazing because when you have a close game late, there's so much drama and there's so many different factors that go into it. And we get to yell and complain about things. And that's what's happening. People are complaining about the refs. But the worst part about football is how we forget everything that happened in the first three quarters of a close game. Because if you go back to the first half of that game, the Kansas City Chiefs had a touchdown taken off the board because of a holding call. Right. They ended up right. picking a field goal in that play. Instead of a touchdown, it was, I think, second and goal from the 19 after yes. that. Kansas City then had an interception taken off at the because very end of the was, first half. He was there just a Half a second yeah. too early. Yeah. Cincinnati goes down and kicks. Oh yeah, it. yeah. He both of, both of them were the right call, just like everything they called against Cincinnati in the fourth quarter. Both of those plays, Kansas City went from having a touchdown to having to kick a field goal, and Cincinnati ends up uh, kicking a field goal on the drive after the interception was called off because of PI. Everybody forgot those two plays happened. That's that's seven points at least that were taken off the board for Kansas City, or a seven point swing, I should say, for Kansas City. If those two plays happen in the fourth quarter, is anybody pissed at the refs this morning? No, but they right. happen in the first quarter, or right. in the first and second. And because when we watch football and it's a close game, we completely forget the first three quarters of the game. Nobody's upset about those two, even though they took points off the board for calling the right thing, which is the exact same thing that happened to Cincinnati well, not just, in the game. Just not just the fourth quarter. We're only remembering one play now. Right. And that's the hit out of bounds, yeah. which was the well, right call. It also doesn't help that some producer was in a cameraman's ear going, get the guy crying. <laughs> Man, they Focus, kept showing get him. me them tears. Yeah. Do feel bad for that guy. Oh, I feel <laughs> bad. I feel well, bad. He, wait, you, he also messed up his knee. Did yeah. you see the postgame press conference with Joseph Osai, who's the guy who made the hit on Mahomes? One of his teammates. Oh, oh stood right next to him. Hall. It, yeah. Was right. stood next to him and like. He said no dumb questions. Right. Helped him answer questions. Yeah. Like made sure he was the buffer between yeah. the media asking dumb questions. That's that's a team. That's a friend. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if I have a friend that would do that right now. If for whatever reason I had to talk to the media about the worst mistake of my life. I don't know if I have a friend that would do that right now. That guy was great. So I here's the real problem with the end of that game. We got Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. The second time they meet in the AFC title game in two years. Potentially the two best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. We wanted phenomenal quarterback play to decide that game. And it didn't. A late hit out of bounds decided that game. Uh, intentional grounding decided that game, right? We got referee calls deciding that game, even though they were the right calls. We wanted Burrow versus Mahomes, yeah. and when we, we didn't get Burrow versus Mahomes deciding it late, we got upset. We wanted uh, last year Allen versus Mahomes. Right. That's what we wanted. That's what we were expecting, and when that didn't happen, people were upset because they you watch that and you feel like, oh, well, this wasn't decided by Burrow and Mahomes. 
Well, yeah, because other players made stupid plays and the refs have to call penalties you, when you hit the guy who's out of bounds. Like, you, just, right. you have to throw that flag. So, but that I think is ultimately why we're upset is we collective as a football media fan, whatever. We wanted Burrow and Mahomes going shot for shot. And we didn't get it because, to be honest, neither one of those two were very good in that game. No. I mean, Joe Burrow had two drives in the fourth quarter of a tie game, throws a pick and uh, punts, right? I mean, Joe Burrow had two chances to go win that game in the fourth quarter. Didn't do either. Mahomes, technically, they won the game, but they got the ball at midfield because of a good punt return. And then it would have, what would have been a 60 yard field goal if there had not been? Well, it was the, 45, so it would have been yeah. 60. So he got them in. Like, they probably would have tried to run one more right. play to get it to like 50. Because there's eight seconds left, no timeouts, though. Yeah. It would have been tough, but yeah, like they tough. got close to kicking a field goal, and then a stupid play got the Chiefs into field grades. Neither quarterback truly did anything no. in the fourth quarter to win that game, and that's what we're disappointed about because that's what we wanted to see. I did enjoy the several national football writers going, yeah, I, guys, I think he would have made it from back there <laughs> based on that kick. From the 60? From 60, I mean? He's hit from 60 before. No, I know. I know. I just... but. The kick, he still had the distance, and it was dead center. It may yeah. have been closer. It would have been close. It would have been close. I mean, they would have run another play to try to get, maybe it's incomplete, or maybe they tackle him and the clock runs out, but they would have run another play to try to make it a 53-yarder right. instead of a 60-yarder, which, again, would have made it a lot easier to make. But it's uh, I, ultimately, it's part of the reason why football is great, because even when there's bad football, it's still dramatic. It's still and dramatic. Yeah, exactly. It, it's a big reason right. why that's this sport is so popular because I don't think anybody's walking away. Jared's a Chiefs fan. It isn't here. Like, yeah, the Chiefs sucked yesterday. They kind of did, and it was still an incredibly compelling game because it was close at the end, yeah. even though I, 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 nobody <laughs> played well. I mean, there were multiple times during the first half where I was going, "Just throw the ball normal. <laughs> Stop <laughs> doing weird bleep." <laughs> You mean like hooking ladders, trying that for the second time? And the guy who's getting the ball being completely shocked? <laughs> <I know. laughs> the, the the hook and ladder they tried where Kelsey actually tossed Where it. he tossed it. The, the, uh, yeah, and then him also like, I can still do it. Why? Why does he keep trying? Well, I don't have really a problem with the hook and ladder on that because I think there's there's a... I think there's a there's a hole in defenses there that you can take advantage of randomly throughout the game. But you can't have Travis Kelsey throwing it like 20 yards. Like that was a long right. that was a long toss. Lateral right. in the hook and ladder. Like normally it's like, oh, it's like a six, seven yard toss. Right. Travis Kelsey needed to overhand throw that and he instead he still underhanded it and tried to toss it. And almost lost it. So I don't mind the actual idea to have that in your playbook, but don't have your tight end throwing it 20 yards across yeah. the field. He knew better the second time. Well, he actually the second time was the third and night third and goal from the nineteen. He sh they should have lateraled it then. That was their best chance to score. But oh well. Um, but yeah, I don't think the refs actually mattered too much. I think it was more important that the quarterbacks just weren't weren't as good as we were hoping. Joe Burrow. I mean, should we be Blake? Should we be giving him a lot of blame this morning? I mean, the interceptions were. He probably and should he have thrown twice more. There. Yeah. Second and what was yeah. it? Second and three and third yeah. and three. And he's going deep twice. Can I? All right, I got another complaint too. I think I'm I'm getting tired. I'm growing old. Of quarterback takes a deep shot and it gets intercepted, and we say, "Well, that's just like a punt." No, it's not. 
you had a chance to get the first down and you threw it to the well, other especially team. Especially on that short of yardage. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's not the same as a punt. A punt happens on fourth down when you've decided you're not going right. to get it. On third and three, if you throw it deep and it gets picked That's off, on you. you had a chance to convert the third down. And also, in the NFL in 2023, fourth and three, your coach might want to go for yeah. that. Right. So the arm punt on third down, I, I've grown tired of people saying, ah, it's the same as a punt. No, it's not. It's not the same as a punt. You're you're Joe Burrow. You're supposed to be the best player on your team. You're supposed to be converting third and three, not right. giving it's not, it to the th- other it's team. It's not third and 16. Yeah, even if it is. They I mean, s- they saw that one Raiders play on fourth and one work against the Chiefs. So they were like, we're going to do it. <laughs> Which, by the way, great pass breakup. Yeah. Get Rookie. the one. Yeah, Two rookies. Because I think part of what the Bengals do throughout the season is they're like, oh, we have Jamar Chase. Oh, yeah, just throw it to him. Like he's yeah. not open. Yeah, whatever. He had, he caught one in double coverage earlier in the game that got him inside the 10. It's like, yeah, just, yep. he's good. Just throw the ball in the air. He'll go catch it. I'm pretty he usually sure does. two years ago before he got injured, Joe Burrow. No, it may have been last year. Yeah, it was last year. Joe Burrow just said, yeah, sometimes I don't even look. I just throw it to him. Toss and go, it up. Yeah. Eh. Good, he always good, he always catches it some of the time. It's a good idea. It's a good play. It's like what the Chiefs did when they used to play against Jonathan Abram. <laughs> Just they did it with a backup running back once. They were like, "Ah, oh, Abram's down there. Yeah, yeah, we got him. We got a five eight running back. Oh yeah, he's gonna <laughs> jump jump up and catch it. No problem whatsoever." All right, coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll get more into the NFL and the NFC side later in the show. But UNLV basketball got a big win over the weekend. Rebels with the ball. Gilbert still dribbling. Now finally picks it up and throws the ball over to Webster. Right side to Noel. Noel shoots a three from that right side, and he hits it. You're on the elevator up to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. UNLV got a win over Nevada over the weekend. And the men won, too. They did. So (laughs) the Lady Rebels are 20-2. and And ten and zero in Mountain West play. They they crushed Nevada. Yeah, we left with five minutes left. Yeah, yeah. You were there, huh? Red out. Yeah, it was me, my parents, and Damon, the likely parent. (laughs) Your adopted brother. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sellout too. First, I was surprised to see first ever sellout for the Lady Rebels. I guess there were people just standing in the doorway because I guess they don't know how many people can sit in the Cox (laughs) Pavilion. In uh, when Jim Bola coached them in the. 80s and 90s, they were really good. Top five at one point. Yeah, but were, were they like playing in the Thomas and Mac or something and didn't sell yeah. out the Thomas and Mac? Well, they wouldn't have sold out the Thomas and Mac even yeah. in the top five, but still, they probably had some good crowds. Yeah, first sellout in Cox Pavilion, good for them. They cr- they crushed them. They're they're rolling, man. Yeah, Nevada's they're not rolling. good at women's basketball. It was right. like good for UNLV. It's like, yeah, we're playing Nevada. It's a rivalry. It's a doubleheader rivalry. Like, come out, support the Lady Rebels. They're 19-2. and two. But, like, the Nevada women's team is not good enough for that to have actually matched the occasion. Like, that team is just not any good at women's basketball. So, they crushed them, which I think is actually how you would prefer it, I guess, if you're UNLV. Sure. Just beat them by 30 or 23, whatever the final was. Did you get your, sh- you get your shirt? Yeah, of course. But genuinely, <laughs> that's why he went. <laughs> come on, I got three. Uh, that's why I invited my parents. Uh, what genuinely made me laugh, and I think that I do this every time I watch women's college basketball live, I like, Jesus, you let these girls hit each other. <laughs> there was a there was a pass all the way down the field where Desiree 
for the rebels just went, nah, you're not catching that. Lowered her shoulder and just went boom into a girl from Nevada. And I was like, no whistle. Nope. Let him play. Did you get the $1 ticket, $2 beer? Yes, deal? but I didn't. Obviously, I didn't drink any of oh, the $2 yeah, you're not beers. drinking. Well, I mean, had the Chiefs lost. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been over. That'll kill your sobriety. Give it two weeks. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Um, so on the men's side, UNLV also beat Nevada. A uh, much closer game. 68-62 was the final score. For the first time in Mountain West play this season, UNLV's defense held an opponent to under one point per possession. Uh, Nevada had 19 turnovers, which was 25% of their possessions. Remember, Nevada entered that game, turning it over on 15% of their possessions. They were one of the 25 best in the country. Uh, also, Nevada was 7 of 19 on layups and dunks. Could not finish at the rim. Um, UNLB's defense, they back now? Uh, for a game, we'll see. I thought they played well. I was there. Um, reminded you a little of the 10-0 start. Uh, so I thought they played well defensively. You you, you gave all the numbers there, um, and Nevada, like you said, they didn't they didn't finish inside, had they? Uh, but on the other side, if UNLV can make free throws, that thing wouldn't have be been helpful. that close. It'd be helpful. It'd Go. be helpful to make free throws. A little bit. The funny thing on the free throws is David Mwaka was zero for two, and Victory Waco were two for four, which you'd hope those two would do better. But if those two miss free throws, they're they're gonna miss free throws. Good job, Jared. Um, if those two miss free throws, they're going to miss free throws. Right. It's the, the others. The problem was EJ Harkless, who yeah. got to the line a million times. What was yeah. he, 8 of 15 or yeah. something like that? Like, that's the one where it's really like, all right, you you need to make the free throws. Like, those two, all right, but you need to make them. Here's the thing with their defense, though. I think there were two uh, big things themes for that one. UNLV deserves a ton of credit because that was the best conference game they had in just simple terms of staying in front of the ball handler. They did not get beat off the dribble the same way they've been getting beat off the dribble in previous games. That's been their biggest problem. They got to conference play, and you can blame the switching where the center's guarding guards and all that, but just they couldn't stay in front of ball handlers over the first six, seven games of conference play. They did a very good job against Nevada. They forced some turnovers by just stealing the dribble of guys. Very good. They also deserve some credit for blocking shots. Um, Mawaka and five. Uh, no, no. Iwako had Iwaka five, had and Mawaka had two yeah. and three minutes. Right. So those two blocked seven shots. They they deserve a lot of credit for preventing Nevada from making a lot of those layups. The other theme, though, I'm not sure what Nevada wanted to accomplish on offense because we've seen basically every Mountain West team play UNLV and run point guard, center, ball screens, or whoever your best ball handler is, gets a ball screen from the center. And UNLV had been switching those, and they got torched. But even in the most recent game, UNLV didn't switch those. They still gave up a lot of points. Nevada didn't run a lot of ball screens with their center. Nevada ran a lot of off-ball screens, Mm -hmm. but they didn't run a lot of ball screens with their center. And I was like, "Did, did they... Did they watch UNLV film for the last two months? Because that's literally the only thing opponents have been doing to UNLV. And Nevada just kind of didn't do it. And I couldn't quite tell what they were trying to accomplish because there's been a clear game plan, a clear scheme that beats UNLV's defense. And Nevada's like, nah, we got it. We're going to do our own thing. And we still lost by six. Yeah. And I was confused. I didn't quite understand what their goal was offensively. UNLV's offense wasn't that good 
in the game either. But here's the other good news going forward. UNLV's next three games are Colorado State, Fresno State, and Wyoming. Those teams are 8th, 10th, and 11th in terms of offensive efficiency Mm -hmm. in the Mountain West. I know they already lost to two of those teams in Colorado State and Fresno State, but there's a really good chance the next three games the defense looks really good again. We'll see. Two on the road. Right. And we'll see. I'm not ready to say they're going to win all three. I don't think they will win all three, but I think we I think we're going to get three pretty good defensive performances. They might they'll probably lose one because their offense again, it's not quite that great of an offense. So, they might have a good defensive performance and lose, but I do think we're going to have basically a four-game stretch here where UNLV looks solid defensively and set you up for the end of the season where you're going to have to pull off some upsets. But maybe they can win some of those games down the stretch and get better seating and right, have a better, better shot in the Mountain West. at the Mountain West tournament. Did you enjoy the 44 fouls called in 40 minutes? Uh, not when. Well, here's the thing. I only wrote for the web, so the deadline was not an issue. Oh, so deadline, did didn't not, deadline didn't matter. Deadline didn't matter. Look so, at you. Yeah, very excited. Uh, didn't didn't affect me as much as it would have if it was the print uh, edition, and uh, I had to wait through that. You know what my concern always is. Uh, but you didn't didn't have to matter. No, you could have taken matter. it easy out matter. on that one. Did you see Harkless with uh, hand warmers before the game? Uh, I saw Mike Romala tweet that out. Did anybody yeah. ask him about it afterwards? No, oh. but it was like a fanny pack. You know how they yeah you know, quarterbacks like have quarterbacks. Yeah, didn't help the shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Five of fifteen from the floor. Uh, Got to ask him about that though. I I don't know. I can't even. I'm not going to even guess what the uh, situation was there. But uh, it was interesting. Mike at one point goes. Does he have a fanny pack on? And we're like looking down there, like, hey, that's hand warmers. Does he have? Does he have cold? Does he have like poor circulation? Does he have I don't cold know. Hands inside. I, don't know. I, I mean, I don't even want to guess as to what it was. <laughs> it's just inter- It was interesting. I thought it was interesting. Um, he shot fourteen free throws in that game. Nevada as a team shot seventeen. Here's the, the that when you have a game that features a lot of fouls. That's almost always going to be a good thing for UNLV because Harkless yeah, a lot of free throws, particularly yeah. is very good at forcing contact and getting the foul calls. And he was very, very good in that game. So anytime the refs are whistle happy, it's usually going to be a good thing. for UNLV. Now, obviously, if Harkless picks up three fouls in the first half or something, that's not good. But if just in general, they're calling a lot of, you know, soft contact. It's a good thing for UNLV. One other thing. Final minute. Uh, when Nevada got called for a charge, I think they were down three and had the ball. I think Harkless took the charge. Two plays, two different times on that possession, UNLV hit a Nevada player in the face and they didn't call it. On the defensive rebound, guy got hit in the face, no call. And then before Harkless took the charge, guy got hit in the face, didn't no call, call anything. Great job by them. My favorite part was every replay. Oh, the refs missed a call. <laughs> Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, Jay Williams joins the show. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. You hear him in the mornings before us on Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Max. Joining us now is Jay Williams. Good morning, Jay. Hey, Jay, how, are, how you? are you, man? I'm doing good, Ed and Ty. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to be here, and uh, my Giants are not in the Super Bowl, but I guess I'm kind of rooting for the Eagles. Is that sacrilegious? But I'm doing it anyway. A little uh-huh. bit. Wait, why? Why are you kind of rooting for the Eagles? Well, it's because you know we talk about narratives and look on uh, like the macro picture coming into like the Final Four of the weekend was 
Rock Purdy was going to be the Disney Plus movie, right? Uh, the third-string quarterback, the guy the last pick in the draft, and the guy that overcomes all the odds, the third-string guy. And, you know, Jimmy G, and then you got, obviously, Joe Burrow, and he's, he's the best in the game. And Patrick Mahomes, he's the GOAT right now. You know, you talk about the Super Bowl champion, how many times he's been to the Super Bowl in the final four appearances. And it kind of seemed like Jalen Hurts was just at the bottom of the barrel. And I guess I've known him since his days at Alabama, I've cheered for him as a person and his father being a quarterback coach and his story of going to Oklahoma and then being drafted in the second round and all the the chaos and the controversy around how Doug Peterson dealt with Carson Wentz and people just destroying Howie Roseman and how he was just collateral damage from that. And to see him rise from the ashes to have his team in a position to win the Super Bowl, I love seeing him personally win. So I'm taking a little bit of my NBA basketball route for the individual and I'm applying that to the Philadelphia Eagles. Jay, as a Cowboys fan, it's just a little sacrilegious. <laughs> yeah, it is. But I got to be honest. Now, now as a Giants fan, talking to a Cowboys fan, so I, I, I have so many questions for you on this one. So, okay, but, but can, can you mind me just going this tangent with me for one second? Is that allowed? Yeah, Anything's allowed. Okay, okay, all right. Because I do like Dak, and I do find myself rooting for Dak. But I think about superstar quarterbacks, and I see an AFC, I'm like, wow, Josh, you know, Justin Herbert. We got Joe Burrow. We got Lamar Jackson. We have Patrick Mahomes. We have Trevor Lawrence. We have all these elite quarterbacks that can overcome the odds. You know, like so Joe Burrow, oh, 3 0 lineman out. Got it. Patrick Malone, Patrick Mahomes, from ankle. Got it. And, and then I look at certain quarterbacks in the NFC and I say, like, like, okay, Kirk Cousins, like, can't really get over the hump. Dak has some of the weapons, you know, but we, yeah. we didn't hear any. Uh oh, I think makes it happen. But now we did it for Dak, you know. And I, I just it bothers me about these narratives that float around that Dak can't get his team over the hump when it matters the most because of lack of weapons. Where I see other guys do it. Does it bother you the narrative, or does it bother you that he just can't do it? Both, I guess. Both. <laughs> it's it's both because I want Dak to win. I don't want the Cowboys to win. I want Dak to win. <laughs> and then it's like, well, now we're gonna have Kellen Moore fall on the sword. It's like, oh, we're gonna get rid of the OC, and now Mike McCarthy. You can call the plays. I'm just sitting there saying, well, what is it really around Dak? You tell, you, you tell me as a Dallas Cowboy fan. You tell me what it is. I think, it's, I think a lot of it is maybe the weapons. And I, I, haven't, Jay, I haven't been convinced he's, uh, he's one of those guys who all the pe- other people you put in that realm. Um, I'm just not convinced yet. Uh, I think he's a good quarterback, but I certainly don't put him in the realm of the other guys you, you named out there. I know, and that's what I hate because we always equate the pay – to the elite-level talent, right? So when you hear what his salary was, you're like, well, he needs to be elite. And now, all of a sudden, we're talking about this being a year where we're going to be looking at Dak saying, is he going to be the future quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys right. if he doesn't get it done in 23-24? And it's crazy we haven't gotten to that point. Jay Williams with us here on ESPN Las Vegas. If you picked uh, two players or teams in the NBA to meet in the playoffs every year, like we've seen from Mahomes and Burrow the last two years, who would you pick? John Moran and Steph Curry. Golden State. And Memphis, and I would not call that a rivalry yet, because I, I think in order for something to be a rivalry, one team has, actually has to beat the other when the games matter the most. <laughs> Memphis has not done that, so it's not a rivalry. I think there's individual rivalries and there's matchups. It's the best matchup we might have in, in the NBA, but I would pick those two teams because they genuinely do not like each other. Like you know, I, even watching Saturday, the Boston Celtics and the Lakers, I get historically that's a rivalry. 
And I get LeBron, you know, winning an Oscar after the game for the blatant non-foul call, which is mind-boggling me how a ref on the baseline commits that when it's happening right there in front of your damn eyes. But that's still, that feels more historically kind of drawn into it. Like LeBron and Jason Tatum like each other. There's no hate there where I can actually feel the animosity between Dylan Brooks, John Morant, Jaron Jackson, you know, Clay Thompson calling Jaron Jackson a bum, you know, John Morant asking for the game on Christmas Day, Draymond Green, you know, timing in, them getting it, them beating them without Steph Curry. That, to me, is a budding rivalry on its way. Jay, no matter what seed they are, it, it just seems like uh, if they're right and they're healthy and everything's going on, that's the last team I want to play is the Warriors. I try to say it to people, man. It's um, At the end of the day, their continuity and the way they play, and you can even make a case that I, Steph is the man on this team. Like, Jordan Poole is one B. So when Jordan Poole is the guy who at times could be front and center, you even saw that with Steph Curry, you know, getting frustrated throwing his mouthpiece because he wanted that shot. Jordan Poole believes he's the guy. And I, I think the addition of him moving into that sphere as mentally I am the guy along with Steph Curry, it, it gives them legs. Now, I still think they have to make some changes. We'll see what they do by the trade deadline. But I would agree. I think they are the, the biggest sleeping giant in the Western Conference. And you talk about teams 2 through 11 being divided by two and a half, three games. It's scary the position they will be in when they get it all together. Would you rather have a teammate that throws his mouthpiece once or twice a year or a teammate that grabs a camera to go show the ref he missed a call? <laughs> well, first off, I can't even believe that Pat Bev, <laughs> Pat Bev caught a putback. By the way, I'm sitting there having like my third glass of wine, and I stand up saying, oh, my God, what did I just see? And then I look to the camera, LeBron has his hands on his head. Everybody's like in a state of awe. And I, I, but like to me, it's really in one year, you tell me who feels like epitomizes the personality of the Lakers more. Like LeBron James or Patrick Beverly. And you, you, like you, that needs to be their mentality. It needs to be that, that rough, that in your face, no back down. I think that's what he brings to the table. Now, I, I still think I would love to see them make a move by the trade deadline, go after a guy like Fred Van Lee. Like, is it coincidence that he's signing with Clutch Sports guys? Like, he's leaving Parlay Sports, his own agency, that he owns a piece of to sign with Clutch. Like, is that coincidence? I think I've seen this movie before with a guy who was down in New Orleans. I think I've seen this before. So, like, what's happening with that measure around Russell Westbrook as well? Pay attention to that. Is that a level of LeBron pushing for it and the Lakers fighting back saying they don't want to give up their first-round picks, or do you think it might actually happen and the Lakers give up those picks they so desperately don't uh, want to hold on to? I, I think if you're Jenny Buss, you're looking at the situation, and you're saying, look, we have the future owner of the Las Vegas franchise on our team right now. You see how I put yeah. that in for you guys to talk about later? There you go. And, yeah, and, and it, for us, if we have a two-year or another-year window, are we going to be all in with one of the greatest we've ever seen to play? And I think you have to make it fit if it works. And there's been no great player in the game of basketball who hasn't had like, – we don't think David Falk was involved with Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls and Jerry Krause. Come on. It just wasn't at the front and center because of social media and everybody having a microphone. But there were a lot of plays that David Falk made for the Chicago Bulls to happen. It's the same thing with Rich Paul. Same thing. You uh, you just said in the uh, Vegas uh, people listening are standing and cheering that there might be a team here with LeBron as the owner. Uh, you've been here a million times. How how do you think it works in Vegas? 
Well, I think from a fanfare perspective, that's always going to be a question, right? It's going to be more of a, a transient crowd. But I think you will have the Vegas crew that – Vegas is one of these places, man. I, first off, I, I love being there. I need to I, – I keep telling my bosses, Jimmy Patero and company, can I do more in betting and, and gambling in Vegas, please? Like, like, that's what I do as a living with all my friends. So being out there, like, there is a core crew of people that – love their sports franchises. I've seen it with UNLV. I've seen it with other franchises as well. So I, I, I think that is the move. And, and the proximity to L.A., the amount of stars, like Usher is one of my really good friends, like doing a residence out there. Like there is a culture for that that could be tapped into, that it could be the hot spot of the NBA. And, by the way, let's be real, it's the same advantage you get when guys go play for the Heat. Like, I want guys to come in. Oh, go out all night long, please. <laughs> let us have the best home record in the Western Conference. Like, let us have that advantage. And I think LeBron will be one of the perfect forefront people to take an ownership stake in that and run it the right way. Does, do. that, does that mean we have to wait for LeBron to retire after he plays a couple of years with his son before we get a team here? <laughs> well, look, I, I think uh, LeBron has already said what he wanted, right? And uh, I know LeBron is always very strategic. It's a matter of how quickly the NBA will let him do that. But I do believe that we are trending towards a world, guys. I'm not saying it's going to happen next year, but in a couple of years where players are going to be allowed to have equity stakes within teams. It's just, you know, like these new TV deals that are coming out. Four years ago, talking to Giannis, he got a four-year, $250 million deal. He was the highest-paid athlete in North America. That's not even top ten right now. So if you have Amazon and Apple coming in with this, guys are going to be making so much money. Why wouldn't you incentivize guys to have a smaller stake in your franchise to keep retention at a high level? It just makes sense and participate economically. So I think we'll see some conversation around that with the new CBA coming up. I do. I'm excited to see stock options being offered to players when they sign their new deals. Uh, Jay, before we let you go, I do have a piece of audio to play for you and then a Uh-oh. question to give you some context here just before we play this. Jason Fitz, who hosts a new show, Fitz and Harry on ESPN Las Vegas, he joins us every week. So we very much enjoyed this part from you guys' show a couple weeks ago. Hey, I'm on the way to work right now. What? Me and Fitz, Fitz in the car with me. Harry and Fitz, baby. Who, who, 12 noon, 3 p.m. Eastern. Who is Fitz? Monday through Friday. Jason, Fitz. Jason Lamone. Don't, who? Don't answer him seriously, Harry. The, the show know, is called. Knows who Jason the show is, is called Fitz and Harry. You got to check it out. It's noon to three p.m. <laughs> Eastern on ESPN Radio on ESPN app. You on said Watch Fritz ESPN. or Fitz? You my guy, Jay. You my guy, well, Jay. Hey, is it Fitz I'm, or I'm Fritz? A, I'm gonna say this. So, can you confirm for us that Keyshawn Johnson knows who Jason Fitz is? <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that accusation <laughs> about Keyshawn. Look, um, we're not the smartest group. We're just entertaining. Um, I, I will tell you, I, it's like that is Key's ongoing thing. With like, oh, who's the who's the white guy with all the tattoos? Was he a hip hop artist? And I'm like, no, man, he was a country. Oh, geez, you don't know who this guy is. So but that's where we are. That's where we are. But I, I will tell you, Jason Fitz is throwing fits considering what's happening with the Raiders. So uh, oh, wow. we have oh, to yeah. keep him cool, calm, and collective. So he doesn't annihilate Derek Carr. That's what well, we bring him on once a week to not be cool, calm, and collected about the Raiders. <laughs> that's the whole point. That's what we're going for. He is Jay Williams. Again, you hear him before us. Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Max every morning here on ESPN Las Vegas. Jay, we appreciate Thanks, your time. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. All right, boys. Talk soon. So there was Jay Williams on uh, the NBA, some NFL, and also 
Keyshawn Johnson not knowing who Jason Fitz is. I actually hope that it's not sort of like a bit of Keyshawn being like, who's who's that? I hope there's part of it where Keyshawn Johnson is like, I don't know who Jason Fitz yes. is, and I don't have any interest in learning. That would who be Jason the best Fitz part is. of it if he didn't know who he was. <laughs> Just uh, well, there's a level of object permanence, like to your coworkers. There are people in this building that I genuinely am like, yeah, I talk to them every day. What's their name? No idea. I say hello and goodbye to people I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like I have no concept of. Yeah, no, I know that person. I say hi to them. I ask them like, oh yeah, how you doing? I heard yes. about your apartment. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> No idea who they are. <laughs> Not a clue. Coming up next, study ESPN Las Vegas, a pop they quiz of headshots. Lowry bounce pass to his right into the hands of Caleb. He flips it to Tyler. Tyler three ball. He is on fire. Four for four from downtown for Hero. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. There was a very important NBA story over the weekend. Uh, it wasn't Giannis going for 50 yesterday, which I did not learn until this morning. <laughs> um, and we will get to the Pat Beverly, LeBron James, Celtics, Lakers ending in the front page. But did you see the controversy surrounding Jaron Jackson Jr. of the Memphis Grizzlies and the scorekeeping scorekeeping on his stats. So this was, this is uh the basis of this is from a Reddit post. Somebody on Reddit made a long post breaking down Jaron Jackson's stats. And to give you the, the summary of it, when Jaron, when the Grizzlies play at home, Jaron Jackson jr. Averages 4.1 blocks per game. When the Grizzlies are on the road, he averages 2.2 blocks per game. When Jaron Jackson plays a home game, he averages 1.4 steals. When he's on the road, 0.6. It's something like a 80% increase in his blocks and steal stats when he is on the when he's at home versus when he is on the road. Memphis Statkeeper pumping the books up. For this her. is like when John Stockton was at the other end of the court, watched yes. the ball, and they gave him an assist. <laughs> and he was nowhere near the ball, and he hadn't touched it, but he got an assist. So, one, this happens in basketball at every level. There was a story a few years ago about stat keepers in college basketball, where there's probably even less eyeballs, less people paying attention, and how a lot of teams have drastically different assist numbers at home versus on the road. That their assist numbers go through the roof yes, at home. when they're at home. And on the road, eh, what? Home team's getting the assists. Right. So this has been happening in for basketball for a while. It's been happening at multiple levels of basketball for a while. But my absolute favorite part of this, basketball media members that ran to film to go watch this. Chris Vernon says he watched all of Jaron Jackson's blocks this year to determine how many of them weren't real blocks. And he said, I think he said there were five questionable ones, only three of which were clearly not a block. Two of which were maybe to be like, yeah, it's perfectly fine. All of his blocks are valid. People were so ready to defend the NBA stat keeping that they ran to watch 66 Jaron Jackson blocks on a Saturday afternoon. 
It's phenomenal. Phenomenal that somebody on Reddit could force the NBA media to be like, this Jaron Jackson guy's getting fake blocks. Uh uh uh. I'm going to go watch, watch it every and prove one of it them wrong. Well, two things. First, the NBA is the only league to have ever been like, yeah, our refs were actually. <laughs> we had to send a guy to jail. And second, I do enjoy the idea that much like hockey, we may not know what an assist is. We do not. No. Like, wait, it hit his butt. Right. And then it bounced to his stick. And he got an assist for that. Second assist. Assists are very, very discretionary. Very much so up to the stat keeper to be like, does that deserve an assist yeah. or not? Very much so. And things that don't deserve assist will often get assists. Things that do sometimes don't. He passed it to him, and the other guy dribbled seven times and oh, shot yeah. it. Yeah. Assist. Yeah. Only if you're at home. <laughs> if you're on the road, clearly not an assist. Uh, so stat keeping. And by the way, the uh, JVT. Uh, his big angle on this was basically that Jaron Jackson Jr. is the favorite for defensive player of the year. And if there's an inflation to his defensive stats, that impacts who wins defensive yeah. player of the year. Helps him out winning the award. Yeah, because that was that was the big uh, complaint from a lot of people that were like, oh, so the NBA has sports betting advertisers, uh, you know, daily fantasy where you just simply bet Jaron Jackson Jr. over under two and a half blocks or something like that. And now it's stat keepers might be out here not giving the exact right number of blocks or steals. Right. It can be right. a big deal when people are gambling their own money. To wrap this up, one thing that I learned, Chris Vernon, he uh, lives in Memphis. He does a radio show in Memphis. Chris Vernon works for a company owned by the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm. The Memphis Grizzlies created a media outlet called Grind City Media. They hired away two of the best radio people in Memphis and one of the like lead columnists from the Memphis newspaper and create like they've got a like, website. Yeah, they got a Grind City Media. They do radio shows. They do online stories like it's a, a legitimate news outlet. But I just learned it was owned by the Memphis Grizzlies, and they basically hired away some of the best media members or most well-known in Memphis, and now they work for the Grizzlies effectively, which is fascinating to me because how many teams are doing that? A lot of teams have in-house reporters. Uh, yeah, a lot of most have in-house right, reporters, but they don't have a separate media company right. and go out and pillage the local paper and radio station.